why is this happening? Welcome to Meadows Church. If you're a first-time guest, I'm going to say it again. Welcome home. We're super excited that you're here. We're in a series called Just That. Why is this happening? When I was uh, 10 years old, my family moved from the farm life to city life. It wasn't really a city. It was a town. Towns are like, it was a thousand people. So small town, but for us, it was a city life for the kids. So I had four sisters, one brother, and uh, youngest of six. And we had a little mini bike at the farm. It was, a, I mean, it was an old one. Like it looked like a tiny miniature, literally a motorcycle, but just tiny, um, kind of like a circus bike almost. But anyway, that, that's weird. So we brought the bike into, into town because we knew that we were going to use it. We we're going to revive it. It had been years since we'd used it. We wanted to ride it again, and we knew that we we're going to be around people. Someone could probably fix it. So we found a mechanic. Actually, mechanic is a lie. We found a guy that had some tools and, uh, and thought he knew something about motorcycles or mini bikes. And we said, all right, give it a shot because it's an older model. And uh, so he gave a, gave a shot at it and uh, said, hey, it's ready for pickup. So I went with my mom to this little shop to pick it up. And he said, I rigged it up so it works for you. And I thought, you rigged it up? I, you know, that's kind of weird. Did, why not just fix it? And, uh, but it, again, older, older bike, had to do some things. And I never, he explained to us how it works. He said, when you, when you start the mini bike, you got you to turn this little, this little nozzle for the gas flow. You know, kind of like you would with a gas grill to turn it, your gas grill on. He said, turn the nozzle, but just turn it a tad till it just opens. That's it. And then that'll get the gas going to whatever, the engine, the carburetor, the, I don't have a clue what I'm talking about, but something in that thing that's going to make it run. So we're like, okay, yeah, we can do that. So it worked. It was awesome. And we would ride that thing in, you know, in town, small town. It don't matter. License. You don't need to license it. You don't need a license. You don't need a helmet. I mean, there was nothing safe about it, but it was fun. So, uh, so we're riding it. And one day my sister and I got in a huge fight. This is not uncommon. Okay. We fought a lot and uh, we were fighting one day and we were fighting over the minibike. And I said, well, if you want to ride it, fine. I'll, I'll get it going for you. But I was so upset. So I went, and you know where this is going, right? So I said, I'll get it going. And I cranked this nozzle as far as it could go. And I really had no clue what it would do. I just, know, I just knew the guy was adamant, don't do this. So I thought, well, let's do this. So I'm cranking it. And she gets on, and we start the mini bike, And she takes off, screaming, uh, going around the block. And I'm like, wow, she's really flying. And she's coming back around by the house now. And she's yelling as she's going by. She goes, why? Why is this happening? And she's hitting the brakes, but the brakes are not stopping it. Brakes, they might as well throw, throw the brakes away. It's not stopping it. And I'm, and I'm freaking out because I'm like, oh, my gosh, what did I do? I'm thinking this is bad for two reasons. Number one, my sister's going to die. That's not good. But even worse, I thought, I'm I'm going to jail. So it, this it can't happen. So she, she's like, why is this happening? Why? And I was like, I don't know. What me? So she's flying around the block again, and she isn't slowing down. And I'm getting nervous, and I'm starting to get real religious, praying to God. And, and she gets by the house again, and all of a sudden she lays it down. And that's, honestly, I don't know how she would have stopped it anyway. So she lays that thing down on the side, and it goes flying. My sister goes flying. And I run over, and I get up to my sister where she's at. She's completely unconscious. I'm just kidding. She's not unconscious, but she is hurt a little bit. There's some gravel in her, in her, in her leg, and there's some blood, but she was fine. She, I think she peed her pants. She doesn't want me to tell anybody that, but she did. And, uh, but it was, she was fine. My point is she was scared, and she was screaming. And by the way, Missy, if you're watching this, now you know what I did. She has no idea that I did that little nozzle thing till, till now. So, uh, but there's always forgiveness. Um, the, the point is... Uh, 
what's my point? Why is this happening? Why, she was asking, why is that happening? Well, your brother's a jerk. That's why that's happening. Um, what we're looking at today is a, a, a topic that a lot of people ask. A lot of people have, have thought this, asked this, and, uh, and many of you probably have. Not only why is this happening, but specifically, why do bad things happen to good people? One of the number one things people will ask when they question God or they question theology or, or a spiritual being or a creator, and, and they look at the world, the creation, and they see what goes down in creation, they think, why? Like, like if he's so good and he's God, why is this world the way it is? And that's what we're going to look at. So I'm going to tell you straight up in your notes, right away, I'm going to give you four reasons why bad things happen to good people. And there's a fifth, but I'm saving the fifth till the end because there's a spin on it. And I got to tell you a story to get to that spin. So why do bad things happen to good people? I'm going to preface it by telling you something. We'll never completely know the answer to this, okay? The world that we live in and the God who created our world we, we can look at scripture, which we're going to do. We can look at the world we live in, which we're going to do. But we'll never understand everything completely when it comes to this topic. But I'll tell you, I can give you, I can shed some pretty good light on the topic for you to help you in your struggle with this, or maybe as somebody that you know that struggles with this. So number one, why? Well, we live in a world that's full of sin. Our world is corrupted with sin, okay? Anytime there's sin that enters into anything, there's fracture, there's broken. There, there's things go a different way than what God wanted. That's what sin does. So anytime sin is in the picture, and sin is in the picture in this world, you're going to have things that happen that you don't get, that you don't understand, that don't make sense, that don't seem fair, that, that are going to make you question, God, not only are you good, but God, are you even real? There is sin in our world. Number two, there are times God may be testing us. Okay, There are times, not all the time, but there are times where God's going to allow some things to test us, to, to build our courage, to build our faith. That's what God will do. There's a guy in the Bible named Job. Job, this isn't even a story about Job today, but I'll tell you, he was tested in a major way that I would never want to be tested. But God was testing his faith and building his character and building his faith. And, and God, you know, I think God might have been testing me Maybe he was doing this for this message. I don't know. But yesterday, my son Jake, who's 11, had baseball, like Little League baseball, like, I don't know, what was it, a, kind of a kickoff ceremony, I guess you could call it. And it was awesome, but it was the 8 in the morning, so that's my first issue on a Saturday. So that's a struggle for the Gannon household, namely me. But we were, so we're running late already, and Jake's in the car, Dad, we got to go, we got to go. But I felt like the Lord wanted me to go to McDonald's and get myself a coffee. So I'm like, Jake, you know what? I know we're running a little late, but Dad's going to grab a coffee. And Jake's like, Dad! I said, Jake, don't you argue with Jesus. So we, we went to McDonald's. We grabbed a car. It was good news. No one's at the drive-thru. It was, it was smooth sailing. One, one car was getting their food. So I, I pull in, order a coffee, pull up to the car behind me. They're getting their food, but it's, it's a struggle. So the lady's getting, I mean, she's buying a lot of food. I don't know who she's all feeding, but they're, they're exchanging these bags back and forth. And then all of a sudden she gets her food, and I can tell the, gal, the person's done handing it to her, and she just sits there. And I'm like, go, go, go. 
oh, and, and, and I can tell what she's doing. She's looking in all the bags. I've got to make sure everything's just right. So she's checking every bag and every condiment to make sure she got everything. And then she starts handing stuff back to the gals like, oh, I didn't get enough ice or whatever. I'm like, and, and, and Jake's like, Dad, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, Jake, I'm fine. I must have, he must have could tell I was frustrated. I said, no, Jake, I'm okay. He goes, it's that lady, isn't it, Dad? I said, yes, Jake, it is that lady. I'm so grateful. Uh, if you knew what I was thinking, um, it wouldn't be good. Because, I mean, aren't you grateful that we don't have, like, these thought bubbles that exist above our head, like, tangibly, that people see what we're thinking? Think about that. Okay, if that was true, um, Okay, I wouldn't be your pastor. I would be in prison, okay? And you'd probably be my cellmate. Let's just be honest. Uh, that would not be good. I was not thinking godly thoughts. God, if you're testing me in that area, that's not the area to do it. I, it was a struggle, but we, we were okay. Number three, say three. 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 That was our last series, but it's, it's still prevalent. There are times that the enemy is attacking. We have an enemy. His name's Satan, and he's real just like God is real. And a lot of times when things go down in the world, we immediately want to go to God and question him and question his goodness and question why. And, and there's another entity at work. The Bible says we're in a spiritual battle. And Satan exists. And his mission is real simple. Kill, steal, and destroy. That's what he does. So when things in your life don't go the way you want it and something's being stolen from you, or something's being destroyed that you love, there's a good chance that Satan's hand is in it, okay? Just understand that. The fourth thing so far, just to set the tone for today, is we have free will. We have a choice. We serve a God who doesn't dictate. We serve a God who is not domineering. We serve a God who isn't some puppeteer forcing you to love him and forcing you to do this and forcing you to serve. He doesn't do that. He says, I love you so much that you get to choose. And any time in a broken, sinful world, a broken, sinful world get to choose, it, it, you know, there's a choice between good and bad. So that means we can choose to, to love and serve God, or we can choose to do other things. So that, that's the fourth reason, our free will. We can choose to love God or reject God. To set up the last reason, and probably the biggest pinnacle to this, this, this message, I need to tell you a story that starts in the, the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew is a, a, a book in the New Testament. It's the first book of the New Testament. And we're going to be in chapter 3, verse 1. You brought a Bible, you got a mobile app, go there. I always encourage, encourage, encourage. If you got a Bible, bring one. If you don't have a Bible, let us give you one. We'll give you one for free. We'd love giving them out. Um, God's word, what, what you're going to learn today, I, I, first of all, I pray it impacts you like it has me. We're looking at a gentleman in the word. His name is John. He's a good friend of Jesus. In fact, he's Jesus' cousin. John the Baptist is what you might know him by. John the Baptist was, was a crazy dude. He, uh, where I set this up is John has set the stage for Jesus. John is preaching. John is pointing people to a Savior who's coming. And uh, well, let me just read verses 1 through uh, 5 to you. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness, and he was preaching. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That message has not changed, by the way, in 2,000 years. Repent of your sins, turn from your sin, 
turn to God. That's all John kept telling him. Stop doing that. Start doing that. And he's that guy over there, Jesus, he's always with you. And he loves you and he will guide you. Repent of your sin, turn to God. And then at verse 3, the prophet Isaiah, hundreds of years earlier, was speaking about John when he wrote down, he is a voice in the wilderness. He's talking about John the Baptist, prophesying about him. Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him, he will shout. So he's talking about John the Baptist. Now, some of you are looking at me like you're wondering, gosh, I wonder what John wore for clothing. Gosh, I wonder what John ate for breakfast. Okay, well, first of all, you're weird. That's Why are you thinking that? Secondly, because you're curious, I'll tell you. Verse 4, John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, dry clean only. Coarse camel hair. He wore a leather belt around his waist, and for food, he ate wild honey and locusts. Wow, that's interesting. So that's like a bug, right? Or an insect? Locusts? So John, I mean, I guess you could say John wasn't on the keto diet as so much the mosquito diet, right? I'm sorry. Okay, that's, that's not even that funny was. Okay, so back to the scripture. People from Jerusalem and from all over Judea and all over the Jordan River went to John to see him, to hear him. They confessed their sins to John and he baptized them in the Jordan River. Hence the name John the Baptist. So John's doing great things. John's pointing people to Jesus. In fact, in Matthew 3, 11, I'll skip a few verses and give you this one verse. This kind of sums up John's ministry. In 3, 11, John says, I baptize with water. Those who repent of their sins, they turn from their sin, they turn to God. But someone is coming who's greater than me. Someone's coming, I'm not even worthy to be a slave. I'm not even worthy to hold his sandals. I'm not worthy of nothing compared to this guy. I baptize with water. This guy, he'll baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit. He's pointing people to his cousin, Jesus See, John, this is amazing. Understand that John has an incredible following now. It's almost like he's the Messiah. They, and they, some think he was at this point. But John's not getting a big head. John's not letting pride go before the fall. John continually lives out his purpose, pointing people to Jesus, pointing people to the king, pointing people to life. We're a purpose-driven church, and you have a purpose. Say purpose. You got a purpose. One of your purposes is to do exactly what John was doing. It's to point people to Jesus, to point your family to Jesus, to point yourself to Jesus. I'm so proud of you. You're in God's house pointing yourself to Jesus, living out your purpose right now as we hear the word of God. Something's about to happen in John's ministry. The person that he's pointing people to is about to come on the scene. Jesus, we haven't seen or heard from Jesus in 18 years. Bible doesn't say what Jesus did from age 12 to age 30. We don't know but he's Jesus, probably something pretty cool, but we'll find out someday. But he's 30, and Jesus' public ministry is about to begin. Jesus comes on the scene, steps out, he's ready to initiate and inaugurate his public ministry, and the first thing he does, he goes to the Jordan River, he sees his cousin John, and he says, John, I need you to baptize me. And John's like, no, 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 I can't, you're, you're God's son, and you baptize me. Well, they have this back and forth, but finally Jesus says, no, 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 you're going to baptize me. You need to do this. This is a new beginning, not just for me, but for everybody that I'm going to preach to and love and heal and um, do ministry with. Baptism is amazing. This isn't a message prevalently on baptism, but I need to tell you that if you 
have ever given your life to Christ, you've asked Jesus to come into you, you believe he's God's son, and that means you're a follower of Jesus, and your next step is baptism. And Jesus modeled that. He's the son of God, and he's getting baptized. So I'll, I just say that to set the tone and tell you that a lot of people have been giving their lives to Christ in our church, and we give God glory for that. He's so amazing and so good what he's doing. In fact, some of you today are going to do that. That's why God brought you here. And we're going to do baptisms probably, I think, in a few weeks. We're thinking May 19th. And if you've never been baptized or maybe you were just baptized as a baby and it wasn't your decision, uh, that's a big deal. There's a difference there. And, and, and you, you, you want to do what Jesus just modeled, man, just on your connection card, write baptism on there with your contact information handed into guest services. We'll contact you with more information. But baptism is huge. And, and, and John baptized Jesus. And, and then Jesus went on to do amazing things. Jesus is reaching people. Jesus is preaching. John's overdoing his ministry, pointing people to Jesus, sending people to Jesus. And that's going on until they get to a point where Jesus is ready to send out his 12 disciples to go preach like Jesus was preaching. So we fast forward now, and we haven't heard from John in a long time. The last time we really see John in Scripture is he's baptized Jesus, and all of a sudden, John kind of disappears, though he's still doing something. And Jesus is now sending people out. So what's going on with John? Let's look. We, we skip now to Matthew chapter 11. So we go from 3 to 11, verse 1. So Matthew 11, verse 1. Jesus has just finished giving instructions to the boys, to the 12, saying, Hey guys, it's time for you to go out and preach and reach people. I've raised you up. I've taught you. Now go do this. And Jesus sends them out to preach to the towns and throughout the region. In verse 2, it says, John the Baptist, now all of a sudden we're hearing about John, John the Baptist, who was in prison. What? What do you, what do you mean John's in prison? Like, John? John's just been such a great guy, doing his purpose and pointing people to Why is he in prison? What has John done? That's what I want to know. Like, and Matthew doesn't tell us. Matthew, why are, you, why are you like that? So Matthew's not telling us, so we're going to go to Mark. Because the Gospels are awesome. The Bible is so amazing. When you read it, how it's so cohesive and never contradicts itself. So what Matthew doesn't record, Mark recorded. So Mark told us why John's in, in, in the clink. And this is what he says. In Mark chapter 6, verse 17. Listen to this. this we're going to find out what John did. For Herod, Herod, who's a, a ruler, um, not a good one, not, not a nice one, but he's a ruler in Galilee in this, in this region. Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested. And he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias. Okay? Herodias is his brother Philip's wife whom he had married. Say what? Well, I agree. What? I got to read it again. What? Um, okay, he did this because of Herodias. Okay, Herodias is your, Herod's brother, Philip's wife, but then Herod married her. Okay, what? Well, the one thing I like reading the Bible because it makes me feel like I'm normal, okay? I, it makes my family look okay. So they're messed up. Herod has married his brother's wife, and John called him out on it. John said, Herod, what you're doing isn't right. What you and Herodias are doing ain't right because she's still married to your brother. Well, sometimes when you call somebody out on what they're doing wrong, they don't like it. Especially because of guilt and shame, and they'll lash out and get mad at you. Now, when you, when you call people out, you should love them and do it in love and have a relationship. That's key. But, but John, John, he pointed people to truth. 
And he wasn't shy about it. And he said, Herod, I know you have the power to do whatever you want to me, but what you're doing with her when she's married to him, it ain't right. And Herodias didn't like it. In fact, the Bible says Herodias nursed such a grudge that she wanted John killed. She didn't like to be called out. Don't look at what I'm doing. Don't worry, worry about yourself. Look in the mirror. Don't look at me. You know, that's what she wanted. And John was looking at her, and she didn't like it, and she wanted him dead. But it's interesting what this next verse says. She wanted to kill him, but she wasn't able to. Do you know why? Because Herod... This is weird. Herod feared John and protected him because he knew that John was a righteous and holy guy. So Herod, who wanted nothing to really do, I mean, he would not like what John is preaching. He's pointing people away from, like, Herod's popularity and pointing them to Jesus. So Herod, you would think he'd want to kill John. But even Herod, ruthless king that he was, knew there's something about John that is, is he's anointed. I, I, God's hand is on him, so I, I, and I fear God, so I'm not going to mess with him. That's where Herod was at. Herod knew he was a good guy. Not only was John a good guy, he was one of the greatest guys. And that's not just because I'm saying it. It's what Jesus said. This will blow you away. I'll fast forward a couple verses. In Matthew 11, 11, listen to what the Lord Jesus says about his cousin. He said, I tell you the truth. It's all Jesus spoke, by the way. I tell you the truth. Of all who have ever lived, say all. Okay, that covers a lot of people. Of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Whoa, whoa, Jesus. Hold up. I mean, you passing up a lot of all-stars there to make that claim on John. We don't even read about John much in the Bible. You bypassing Abraham and Moses and Jacob and Joshua, Noah. Oh, I mean, King David, come on! What, you, Jesus, are you including the people that are still alive? Because your mom, you passing up your mom, Mary? You saying John's better than Mary? Jesus, though I bet Jesus scanned the crowd first, don't you think? Before he made that claim, he's like, all right, my mom's not here, I'm good. He's like, yeah, all right, it's good. Yeah, John's, John's good, John's the greatest. John, I just think this, I don't know why I do. It's just weird what happens up here. I, and then I think Jesus gets home, and Jesus is like hanging out. Now he's 30, so I don't know if Jesus is living with his mom like Casey did. But, you know, he could be. So, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. So anyway, <laughs> it was right there. I had to do it. Um, but let's pretend Jesus gets home, and I can just see Mary. Hey, Jesus, how was your day? Great, Mom, preaching to people, reaching people, making declarations. He said, yeah, I heard. What do you mean you heard? Oh, I heard you made a big declaration today. Jesus is like, Facebook, dang it, yo. She's like, John the Baptist, really? He's the greatest. Oh, come on, Mom. You know, I'm sorry. You know I love you. Really, Jesus, get to your... Yeah, anyway, so I won't go on with that. But So he makes a claim, John's the greatest. The greatest. So I think it's fair to say that Jesus would say John's a good guy. Is John in a good situation? No. John's in a bad situation. Jail's a bad place, Okay. Now, I wouldn't know that from personal experience, of course. <laughs> we won't go there. Um, so, why do bad things happen to good people? Why is John in, in jail? He did nothing wrong. He just called somebody out on something they were doing, and now he's in prison. Verse 2, verse, chapter 11, verse 2 of Matthew is so telling, and this is a game changer for this message. Listen to, listen to what John the Baptist, listen, just listen to this. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So understand, John is in prison. He's not preaching to anybody. He's not living out his purpose in prison. He's not done anything wrong, and he's in jail. 
Jesus is out preaching. Jesus, who has power, like, can save John like that, can open up jail cell doors, can make chains fall off. Jesus is out doing his ministry, and John's sitting there in his head thinking, what's happening? And then he says it. He says to his disciples, because John had his own disciples, he said, can you guys go ask Jesus something for me? I'm like, yeah, John, what's up? Listen to what John says. Ask him, are you the Messiah? Like, are you the one they're, they're expecting? Are you the son of God, or should we keep looking for somebody else? What? You're kidding me. John, you spent your entire life pointing people to Jesus. You, that's all you've done is point people. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. I baptize with water. He baptizes with fire. And now you're sitting in a cell and you're doubting. You're like, I don't even know if what I did. Was I wrong the whole time? Is, is God, is God are, you even, are you even real? Are you even good? Jesus, are you even, are you even who I told people? Think about John. John is doubting with all of his heart. Some of you walked in here today and you've got doubts in your heart and your soul. And it's okay. Can I tell you, it's okay to doubt. John didn't sin by doubting. He's just struggling. I don't get this. Why? I can't even do anything in here. I've done nothing wrong. Jesus, you have the power to help me. You have the power to save me. You're doing nothing. It's okay to doubt. Don't stay there, though. John didn't stay there. John didn't just sulk about it. John said, guys, go ask him. Go ask him. Is he the one? I got to know. I got to know. Is he? The main point, don't let a bad situation, some of you are in a bad situation. Some of you are in a bad place. That's why God brought you here today. Don't you ever let your bad situation cause you to doubt the goodness of your God. See, your God is with you. And your God is for you. And your God loves you. And your God will never leave you. And he never will. But in our doubt and in our head and in this fractured, messed up world, we will start to think things that aren't true. John, the greatest of all, is Jesus even who he said he was. I mean, can we be real in church? Is that okay if we get a little real? I mean, I just don't want to play church. There's crap that goes on in our lives, and it makes you wonder, God, are you serious? Are you kidding me? I'm freaking dying here, and nothing changes. My situation, my, 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 my love life, which is non-existent, my marriage, which you could, might as well call us roommates, my kids, I, I, I do everything to point them to you, and they go the opposite. What? Are you kidding me? Why would that happen? The, the story of a, a five-year-old, you hear about that, the Mall of America. You, you see stories like this, and you think, what? Some five-year-old boy at the Mall of America gets thrown off a balcony by a stranger, falls 40 feet. What? Why would you think about the parents? If that was my son, oh my gosh, God and I would have words. And they wouldn't be, they'd be R-rated. I'll tell you that. I would be, oh, I don't know. I just pray that, I just, I mean, the kid broke bones, arms, legs, fractures in his face. I'm thinking, God is good all the time. Really? Really? You say it, but is it true? Do you believe it? I think Angie's story would cause you to question the goodness of God. 
Her story is one that is so, I think, relatable to many people. Well, you know what? Rather than tell you about it, I'll let her tell you about it. Um, check out the screen and watch this. About five years ago, I was pregnant, and I heard the words that no mother ever wants to hear, your child is not going to live. Um, on April 7th, 2008, I delivered a little girl who was alive when she was born. Her name was Audrey Caroline, and she lived for two and a half hours. We loved her a lifetime's worth. That short amount of time. Watched her get her first bath and a little haircut. But later that night, when everyone was gone, and it was just my husband and I alone with her, as time went on, we knew that we were gonna have to call a nurse to come in and take her. I had to hand my daughter to someone and watch her be taken away from me, knowing that I wouldn't see her again this side of heaven. And as I lay in that hospital bed, and everything in me wanted to just bang on all the buttons and tell them to bring her back, I really called out to God in a way I never had before, and I just said, I can't do this, and I need you to just be here right now. I just need you to hold me. He did. He did. I will tell you that in that moment, I saw um, a side of God that I've never experienced and have never forgotten since then. Just his faithfulness to one girl in a hospital room who was devastated. And I just really felt that he was there. Sorry. I'm sure for some that hits home probably more than others, but I think for all of us, we relate to somebody going through something, ourselves going through something, and you think, I don't get it. There's more to that story. What, what she didn't share that I've also heard as part of that story that I did hear her, her share is that when they realized that the baby wasn't healthy, they told Angie to abort the pregnancy, like to terminate it for her health, but she wouldn't do it. And they said, of course, there's no chance that the kid's gonna be even born alive. You heard her say she spent two and a half days with her daughter giving her a bath, cutting her hair. Two and a half days that she'll never forget. Changed her life. And I think of her story and what she said. If you forgot, I'll tell you what she said. I called out to God and I told him, I can't do it. I need you to hold me. See, for somebody in this place, you're in a situation where you cannot do it anymore. And what God wants you to know is you were never made to do it. You weren't created to carry that weight that you're carrying. You weren't created to carry the load that you're getting crushed by. That's why God would say to you, come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, is what the Lord would say to you. Why do you carry such a burden when I can take that and more? It, it seems to me that in stories like Angie's, in stories like yours, and stories like mine, for me, and I can just tell you this, it seems like in tragedy, 
and sorrow is when God becomes most real. I mean, I get it. He's there. He's always there. He's always real. But for, for me, for us, it's when he becomes most real. Like, I want God in the mountaintops. I don't ever want to go down there. But it seems like in the mountaintops, I'm enjoying God. And that's good. But in the valleys is where we get to know him. Isn't it? I'm just telling you my story. That's where I was. If it wasn't for a horrible valley, I wouldn't even be your pastor. And I wouldn't wish that valley on anybody. We get to know him in the valleys. She got to know him in the valleys. God wants to get to know you in the valley. John the Baptist was in a valley like none other. Go ask my friend, is he even who he said? You know what Jesus said when the disciples went to ask him? Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus' love for his cousin. Jesus knew he was hurting. And Jesus says, you go tell John, verse 4. Go back and tell him what you've seen and heard. The blind see. The lame walk. The lepers are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised to life. And the good news is being preached to the poor. I'm telling somebody in this place, just because God is silent doesn't mean he's absent. Your God is with you in the good. Your God is with you in the bad. You might walk away from him, but he'll never walk away from you. He won't do it. He loves you too much. He loves you too much. You can't shake him. You can try. He won't quit running after you. He won't quit chasing you with arms wide open. He won't. John, you tell him. You tell my boy I am who, who he thought I was and more. So, wow, if this is true, then it must have ended well for John. For John is the same age as Jesus. Got a lot of life ahead of him. 30 years old. Maybe 31 at the time. So it's good news. Jesus is who he said he was. God is good all the time. How does it end for John? Good question. Got to go to the word. Got to go to the truth. Could it be a Shawshank Redemption moment for John? I'm thinking, yes, we got Jesus on our side. He is the king of the world. He is a miracle maker. So the Bible says it's Herod's birthday. And he's having a party. And Herodias, remember his wife was married to him and his brother. You know the deal. His wife, her daughter, Herodias, same name as mom, whatever, I don't get it. There's some names you shouldn't pass down. That would be one of them. Herodias Jr. does a dance for Herod in his birthday, and he loves it. Herod's like, dang, that's good. He said, I love what you're doing. Little girl, you, what do you want? You ask for anything. So little Herodias runs to mom, says, hey, Herod said I could have whatever I wanted. What should I ask for, mom? And mom, guess what she didn't say? Hey, ask for some concert tickets to Drake. You'd be awesome. He didn't say it. She didn't say it. Hey, ask for that new pair of jeans. No, mom said, hey, ask for John's head on a platter. Yay. Herodias like, what? Mom, you're weird. Um, but whatever. Okay. So she did. Little Herodias runs back to Herod and says, I'll take John's head. And Herod's, Herod was kind of screwed at this time because Herod had made that promise in front of everybody in the party. And he can't go back on it now because he said it. Even though he don't want to do it, he does it anyway. Scripture tells us 
It says it. Mark 6.27. So Herod immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, cut off the head of John the Baptist, brought it back on a platter, because it's all about the presentation, brought it back on a platter, presented it to the girl, she gave it to her mom. Look, mom. I guess you could say she really knew how to get ahead in life. I'm sorry. That's just, it's just whatever. Sometimes humor just lightens the load a little bit. That's a weird gift, but she got what she wanted. Did John get what he wanted? I would venture to say no. Did John live out his God-given purpose? I would venture to say yes. Was his plan to die at 30? No. Was his plan to have his head chopped off in a print? No. Did God use him to literally change the world in that moment? Yes. There's a saying in life that life is better with God. My question to us as we close is, what is our definition of better? Is it just when we get the promotion? Then is life better? Is it when I don't have cancer and I'm never going to get it? Is it when my kids are free from anything that's ever going to hurt them or any tragedy? Is that when life is better? Just not true. Jesus Christ said, in this world we're going to have trouble. John 16, But take heart, I have overcome the world. There is no promise that life is going to be trouble-free. Look at John the Baptist. I don't think we have to look much farther than that. But we could. We could look to Job. We could look to Paul. We could look to Jesus. Why do bad things happen? I gave you four reasons. You know what the fifth is? Why do bad things happen to good people? Here's the fifth reason. They don't. Let me explain. Bad things don't happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad, sinful people. I know we don't like to hear that, but I just need to give us a comparison of who we are compared to who God is. Well, John the Baptist was great. Jesus was great. Can I give you a scripture? When a rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, Hey, Jesus! I'm rich, I got a lot of things in the world, but how do I get to heaven? And Jesus said, check this out. Jesus said, first of all, the guy said, the guy said, hey, good teacher. You know what Jesus said to him? This is what's nuts. Jesus said, why do you call me good? Well, you're Jesus. Jesus said, only God is truly good. Let that sink in for a second. Only God is truly good. Even if you're in Christ, even if you're a follower of Jesus, even if the Holy Spirit lives in you, compared to the goodness of God, we're not good. We have to understand this. So the question should not be, God, why do bad things happen to good people? The question really is, God, why do good things happen to bad people? Why do, God, why are you so good to us? Because I know you take the blame for a lot. Like, Jesus is God. You want to know something that's not fair or just? Look at him. 
Oh, he was perfect. Never hurt anybody, never told a lie, never sinned, nothing. We, we hung him on a tree, okay? So the greatest person who ever lived was Jesus. But yet the worst possible thing that could ever happen happened to him so that the best possible thing could happen to you and I. See, God is not fair. Thank God if he doesn't give us what's fair. We would be in trouble. He is just and he is good. But he is not fair. Fair would put us in a very bad place with no hope. But because God isn't fair and gives us what we don't deserve, we get Jesus. The heart's deceitfully wicked. We're wicked. And even Jesus Christ himself, as he hung on the cross, would ask God, why? Why have you forsaken me? Even Jesus, in his humanness. So, so when you ask why to God and you question, it's okay. God knows you're hurting. God knows you're upset. My, my point to you is don't run from him. My gosh, run to him. He's calling you in. He isn't causing the pain. He isn't saying, I'm going to take that so you, he don't work like that. He don't have to. There's enough evil and messed up things in the world. Thank God he, he can use them to draw people in. That's the goodness of God. I know Easter was last week and I know that we celebrated the empty tomb, but the last time I checked, even though it's not Easter, the tomb is still empty. Jesus is still risen and God is still good and his plans for you have not changed. He's good. He loves you. So the gospel of Jesus is this. He sent his son because we're not good people. We have a sinful heart. Remember the thought bubble? I don't want you to see my thought bubbles a lot. You wouldn't maybe, you probably wouldn't come to this church. Um, yeah, we're not good people. But he's a good, gracious God. And he would bridge that gap between us and his goodness with, with, with a son named Jesus who would die on a cross and then rise from the dead, defeat sin, defeat death, and give us life. So that then when God looks at us, he doesn't see our bad. He doesn't see our mess up. He doesn't see our mistakes. But it says he sees Jesus in us. And it makes it pleasing to him and acceptable to him. That's the gospel. You can't earn it. Talked about that. But for the person here today that you don't know the goodness of God, it's probably because you don't know God. But he's drawing you in. He wants to know you today. He wants to save you today. He wants to point you to his son today. And he wants to hold you like he held Angie. Hold me in your arms. He wants to hold you and tell you he loves you and that it's going to be okay. But we should, we, we thank God he doesn't give us what we deserve. Because what we deserve isn't good. And if I could close with a scripture that would sum up the goodness of God based on who we are, it is Psalm 103, 10 through 12. Check this out. God, you are good. He does not punish us. Thank you, Jesus. He does not punish us for our sins. Does not. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. But instead, his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. 
That's the good news of Jesus. I know some of you are in a bad place. I know some of you are hurting right now. Some of you are struggling. Some of you are literally going through hell. But I will tell you, the fact that you're struggling proves you haven't been defeated. And the one who in you is greater than anything that you're going through. If you even believe it, give God some praise up in this place. I hope you believe it. He's a good God. And He loves you. So I close with saying, don't let your bad situation cause you to doubt the goodness of your great God. He's good. And as for John the Baptist, he ain't complaining where he's at today. But even when Jesus said he was the greatest, because some of you might be thinking, well, he was good. He really wasn't. Let's finish the scripture, Matthew eleven eleven. I tell you the truth. Remember, Jesus is talking. All who've ever lived, none's greater than John the Baptist. And then he finishes the statement. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him. I'm telling you what, we ain't seen nothing yet. There is a place coming where there is no more fractured hearts. There is no more pain and tragedy. There is no more suffering and, and injustice. There is none of, there's nothing but goodness and, and, and love and perfection and dry eyes in a beautiful place. That isn't this place, but that place is for anybody who calls on the name of the Lord and wants to be saved. That means heaven is your home. Is God good? You bet he is. All the time? Yep. In the good, in the bad, he's good. As for that five-year-old boy, I just read a story yesterday. Kid from the Mall of America. I shared earlier, it's in times of tragedy and injustice where we get to know God, where, we, where it gets really real for us. I don't think this family would argue that. No, I'm not saying they, they enjoyed what happened to their son. I, that's insanity to say that. Is God using it? You tell me. The family just, I found this quote yesterday. All praise. Wow. And glory and honor to Jesus. Broken bones in his body in his face. All praise and glory and honor to Jesus. He saved our son's life and is healing him in the most miraculous ways. We're so elated to let you know that our son is alert and conscious and no longer in critical condition. Is our God good? Yes, he is. All the time, you better believe it. In the good, in the bad, in the ups, in the downs, he's with you. He loves you. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. God, you're good. Let me pray for you, Father, you're good. Why do bad things happen? I think we pretty much established a, a pretty strong foundation of why those things happen. But ultimately, we live in a world where we have hearts that you know, God, through our thoughts and what we do. We do bad things. Thank you for letting us have a way out. Thank you for not leaving us in our mess. Thank you for loving us even through our struggles and our trying times. Thank you for showing us your goodness when we have nothing else to stand on except your word and your foundation, God. I pray for anybody in this place who is in a difficult, desperate, hurting time. I also give you glory for it because I know that if they choose 
to open their arms and let you in, you will change their world forever. God, I, we need some of that today. We need your presence here today. Do what only you can do, God. I pray that many will call on your name that they'll let the prayer team pray with them, that they'll mark down that they've made decisions for you and they are making steps towards you and they are repenting of their sin and they're turning towards you and stepping towards light and life and new life. God, that's all you give. That's all you breathe. And we'll never stop giving you glory. We'll never stop praising your holy name. And we'll never stop declaring that in you, Father, the best is yet to come. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody says, amen.